Welcome to the Fiction Holics, where two thriller authors reverse engineer thrillers from current events, review movies they like, and play the conspiracy game, a game show about oddball conspiracies and why North Dakota doesn't exist. Your first host is TJ McKay. He's the author of the financial thriller Lucky Links, which is now available on Amazon. He'll show you who really runs the world, and it ain't pretty. Your second host is Michael Angel. He's the author of the Plague Walker Medical Series, which is also available on Amazon. When it comes to microscopic bugs that can kill you, he's your man. We're going to start off with the first segment of our show, where two authors reverse engineer thrillers from current events. Scientists have discovered that apparently there is a layer. Was that an attempt at the Miss American All Ships at Sea? Was that the radio announcement you were trying to do? You know, it was, and keep in mind that I'm actually not drinking this week, so it might. So my delivery might have been a little, little off. We are going to have to mainline you some alcohol if you're going to continue to do this show. I can't, I can't do all the drinking myself. So anyway, uh, apparently below the surface, there is three times the quantity of water that there is in the entirety of the ocean on Earth. So basically, there are three. There, there is there's the volume of three oceans way below the Earth's uh, surface. So the question is, Michael, tell us how exactly can we make a thriller out of this? Well, I'll tell you one thing. There is, I think, potential here. Not so much with the literary thrillers, which is what we do, but possibly a good idea for your you Hollywood execs out there looking to make a name for yourself. So remember this, folks. When this comes out, we're going to be looking for whoever does this, you know, Cinemax or HBO, whoever comes out with this, we're going to be showing up for our cut of the money, just so you know. But here's the thing. This has already been done, kind of already. Do you remember there was a sci-fi thriller thing back at about 15 years ago called The Core? Do you remember that at all? Uh, Was it a made-for-TV movie? No, no, it was a major release, major release. And I'll have to look up on IMDb to find out who's in it. It was a pretty major thing. But <clears throat> Hillary Swank was in it, and, uh, oh, heck, a couple other really big stars that I can't remember right now. I'm sorry about that, folks. But anyway, the point being is the Earth's magnet- ma- magnetic core had stopped spinning. And because of it, disasters were happening around the Earth, and our ionization layer that, would, that protects us from, uh, from radiation, space radiation, is going to break down and kill us all. So they actually, they actually have a vehicle they construct to go down. It, it didn't burrow so much as it just phased matter out of the way to burrow down to the Earth's core. So we call this The Core 2. Oh. We make it a sequel because there's brand name recognition here. It's not, that's why Hollywood's doing these things. They want that brand name recognition. And then they find another core, and there are so many cores now that they call it Common Core. You could even say there's a whole curriculum based around this. <laughs> No, we call this the core. We call this the common core, the, the common water core. core. There's they find a core down there of all the oceans down there, and they drill down to that. And then we have a lot of possibilities after this for a science fiction thriller. It gets so can... tough. It just gets so tough that they have to reframe it to being called hardcore. It's hardcore. Oh god. Oh oh. Wah, wah. <laughs> I need a want want button for this show now. All right. So I've actually got some possibilities. Let's hear. Let's hear. Okay. So. If you want to make a really good thriller out of this premise, so number one, you would essentially do a detective thriller where the protagonist would lead to where, you know, eventually it would lead to the conclusion that flat earthers are right 
And the only way to reach this subterranean ocean that no one can have access to yeah. is simply to fall off the edge. That would be the first one. How cool would that be? That'd be awesome. That'd be cool. Second one I have here is that, you know, it's 2010 and you're hanging out on Sunset Boulevard in Hollywood and you go home with Lindsay Lohan and then you walk into her closet. And that might be one way Wait, what? <laughs> to possibly fall into an ocean several subterraneans below. An ocean of meth, maybe. Yeah, exactly. There we go again. See, I told you folks, we're back to the meth again. Cover, cover your ears. Meth is a hell of a drug, people. Now, here's the third and my final one. Are you ready? This I, one I think I better get my telescope so I can follow you this on this one. one. So, you go to Yellowstone. What shoots up really high with tremendous ferocity and velocity and is in and, and is a natural wonder of the world with many different colors. I uh, you think you're assuming you're talking about the geysers there? The geyser. What if the geysers got reversed and you could write it down to the depths of the core Ooh, into the new ocean? Interesting. Yeah. I, I like mean, all of these series. You like this? The yeah. Flat, you know, this would really appeal to the flat earther segment of the population. I think so. And it would essentially vindicate them that the entire time that, you know, hey, they're right. You know, it's like... You're on a boat, and you know once you pass Hawaii, and, and you think you're going to be in, you know, uh, Japan. Uh, you know, a couple hours later, it's like suddenly it's like you just kind of, you know, you know, it's you no, fall off. it's no yeah. crazier than 2012 with John Cusack. Remember that whole thing where the whole continent shifted places and moved thousands of miles. It's no crazier than that. And you know what? You could even you could even steal the special effects. They've already been done for this because. Do you remember it was one of the Pirates of the Caribbean movies? They did sail off the edge of the earth. Remember mm, that? Yeah. They ended up somehow in Davy Jones' locker, but they did sail off the edge. Yeah. So you could just kind of steal that special effects footage, put in your own ship on there, depending on what you take down. And see, like, you know, one thing that I never really understood was why did more ships not try to sail off the end of the earth back when that was the belief of... You know, it's like, I think about it, if you're on a ship and you're in the middle of a, this massive ocean, it's going to take you days to get the hell off this ocean. Hell, I don't know about you, I've been on a cruise ship before. I cannot even imagine being on, a, on some ship with a bunch of guys with eye patches and limited food just sitting there with whiskey running out and playing cards the whole time. Like, I mean, it would just bore the hell out of me and I would get sick on like day three. I would so much rather just like fly the ship off the flatness of the earth and go into orbit and take my chances. I'll be honest with you. I've been on some very long plane flights. I wish it would fly off the edge of the earth to end my misery, you know? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's like space ice dehydrated space ice cream is really not that bad. And, uh, you know, I don't know. It's kind of like Martians or pirates. I mean... Pirate Mar Martian pirates? I mean, yeah. I think there's a lot to go with here. So basically, this also could be the very first thriller that has both Martians and pirates in the storyline. That would be worth writing. I that would be worth writing. I would actually, I would sign up. I'd buy that book. I would actually buy the movie. I probably would even buy the DVD. Now I'll tell you what would be the the, the highest gro grossing uh, box office film of all time would be if they took Matt Damon's The Martian and mixed it with Johnny Depp's Pirates of the Caribbean. That would just be a total money grab. Uh, but one probably worth doing. Yes, all I can tell you for those two studios who have those properties. One word for you guys: parlay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we have got another thing here, which is apparently there was a gargoyle installed in the Denver International Airport. This is real, and they were going to program it to say certain things. I think they maybe even had somebody there voicing for the gargoyle, you know, uh, in the beginning. 
But the point is, there was talk way back when the Denver International Airport was being created that it was like the center for the Illuminati. So when they put the gargoyle in here, the gargoyle pretty much gives the game away and says, yep, welcome to Illuminati headquarters, I mean Denver International Airport. That's for real. So can we turn that into a thriller, or is that just too out there? Well, of course, we did talk about sailing off the edge of the earth just now, so I don't think anything's too out there for us. But... Yeah, no, I don't think so. So, number one, I would say the fact that where is a place that planes always get stranded in? Denver, right? Yes. How? I mean, how many times are you taking a coastal flight, California to New York, vice versa, wherever, wherever, how many times do you have an emergency stop in Denver? Now, you right? see, my take on that is that maybe this is where you're going, is that they didn't put an airport there for Denver. They put the airport there because that's where all the planes are having to do emergency stops. We might as well put the airport here. Yeah. Right? In other words, yeah. it wasn't planned. It was just, well, that's where they're crashing. Let's put it there. Give them some place to do. Yeah, exactly. So the reality is, is that that's where the emergency stops are. Something is pulling them down. So the gargoyles have got to be giving them this type of message that something is going on right there. So what is, what is the gargoyle indicating? What, is, what, well, is, what conspiracy is indicating here? Well, graviton waves, maybe vortices. Well, I mean, I would in no way ever imagine the possibility that the Illuminati could possibly exist in Denver, which oh, just by the way, happens to be the city where Catholic Health Initiatives is headquartered. Hmm. And uh, I've always wondered because that's the airport where they lost OJ's gloves way back when. It was convenient. It also happens to be the place where people tended to go. First, to consume a particular medicinal plant before they went any place else. I didn't know meth was from plants. I, you know what? We learn something new every single day. So, and you'd have to be on meth to get something from a gargoyle. But, I mean, what do you think? Well, I'm thinking that if the gargoyle is there, it's a false blind. Yeah, ha, 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 welcome to Illuminati headquarters. But it really is Illuminati headquarters. Obviously, they're doing it to throw you off the set. Hiding in plain sight, right? But the question would be, going back to what you said, why would the Illuminati pick that place? There's obviously some sort of energy field there because all the planes are doing emergency landings mm. there. Remember, Denver had an airport already. I think it was called Stapleton. But it couldn't handle all the planes doing the emergency stops. So rather than build an airport where they think they need, an where they need one, they were like, well, the planes are having emergency stops here. We'll just build it here. So I'm thinking the Illuminati built something there specifically because there's an energy field there, a vortices or something in there, and the gargoyle is there, kind of a, don't look here, folks, just move along, just move along, ha ha, laugh at my antics. I picture more of like a Sasquatch or an alpine-type monster or something along those lines. And why would they want to force, force planes down in their areas? Because they don't like the chemtrails or something? Gargoyles and uh, like Illuminati and all stuff, it kind of makes me feel like I'm on meth, okay? I kind of want to get off of it, okay? I think, we better, I think we better give you some more alcohol next time. You, you tolerate this a lot better when you have beer in your hand. Bobo! Conspiracy game! Uh, actually, no, we're doing movies. Okay, let's well, show you what the hell I know. That's all right, we okay. can we edit around right. this. Okay. Now, we are going to talk about a couple, two different things here. And by the way, folks, we've been talking about, we'll try to give you more current, up to date movies so you're. More tempted to listen to us, but yeah, I kind of got a Mr. Michael's case about this. Okay, it's hey, like, it's not my fault. I can't afford a movie ticket anymore now. Okay, well, it's just like you know, listen. I mean, there might be a certain segment of the audience that is a big, you know, Groucho Marx fan, and that's, and that's excellent news. But uh, we're trying to have a little bit more of a wider people. Yeah, you young whippersnappers, tell you what's wrong with you people. <laughs> John Wayne and Gary Grant were good enough for us. 
Hey, I was one just applauding John Wayne, okay? I mean, for God's sake, like, like I mean, Walt Disney should have kept a sick. I mean, he, he, he just should have. So in other words, you're saying don't blame you, blame the demographics for the show, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, stop listening to the freaking show. Stop it, quit okay? it. We have to go see more movies now. Yes, okay. Actually, to be fair, I can't afford a ticket to a movie theater. It's just I can't afford the $20 po- bucket of popcorn <laughs> you're supposed to buy. Well, you know what then? Maybe you should fly to Denver and, you know, you should get some of the gargoyle. You should just, just, just get the gargoyle to rob as many people as possible. Yeah, you know what? I like that right. idea. I like that idea. Yeah, Probably cheaper yeah. to fly to Denver than go to the movie theater right now, quite frankly. All right. The next segment of the show, we're going to talk about a thriller movie or a book that these guys liked. Or maybe one of them liked it, one of them hated it. Maybe they both hated it. Or they even both hated liking it. You, you never know. But you get the idea. Take it away, guys. For those of you listening out there, I'm sure you can relate to this, but you, there's probably a film out there which is the cinematic equivalent of fast food, cold or stale fast food, okay, from a story standpoint. And thriller authors, we love good stories, we love plot structure and everything, but even though you know nutritionally it's nothing in there but calories, you love it anyway. It's a guilty pleasure. You know it's flawed or you know it's cheesy, you know whatever. It's a guilty pleasure. And we, we have those too, I think. Now, TJ had a very interesting one for his guilty pleasure. I think it's a Western, if I remember correctly. Yes. and I want you to talk about it. And this. the name is... I have not seen it yet. What? I told Mr. Michael that I was going to have the contemporary film Stillwater. Anyway, it just came out. I was planning on seeing it. It looked excellent right up my alley as far as thrillers are concerned. And essentially what happened, the, uh, the, 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 the movie theater found out that I was going in. <laughs> oh, and, not this uh, again. Yeah, and uh, yeah, let's just say that that did not exactly work out. So instead, you know what? Just remember, kids, I, meth is a hell of a drug. There is an absolutely fantastic fictional podcast that came out. And in case you guys have not listened to any fiction-based podcasts yet, I highly recommend that uh, you make it your second most listened to podcast, of course, behind the fiction holics. And uh, that podcast is called Midst. M, um, M as in Mary, I as in Isaac, D as in Daniel, S as in Samantha, T as in Tina. And it is an absolutely fantastic uh, podcast. If you like a combination of The Walking Dead, Mad Max, um, and let's say a little bit of kind of a Scorsese feel all merging into one, this is right up your alley. It's actually recommend to listen to on your headphones because of the Dolby Digital Surround Sound. The characters are just done so wonderfully well. And what's really interesting about it is you have kind of a, you have three narrators all working simultaneously, two males, one female, and they're all telling the same story from different angles. And it makes it so fantastic. There's so little going on in some scenes, but the backdrop with the sound effects and the build-up and the narration complementing each other so well just really makes you want to keep listening and listening and listening. And so little takes place, but it's done so well. It, it, it is by far the best slow burn that I have ever seen outside of watching my s'mores-flavored Pop-Tarts in the morning come out of my toaster. Your, your what Pop-Tarts? My S'mores flavored Pop-Tarts. Oh, okay. The best slow burn. So I definitely recommend it. Yep. So anyway, uh, no Black Widow, okay? No Fast <laughs> and the Furious. <laughs> a you know, fiction-based podcast. You know, I'm willing to bet that uh, for a lot of people, 
that some of the Fast and Furious movies or maybe some of the Transformer movies might be under their guilty pleasure, but I'm going to go a little more old school than that, a little bit older than that. Okay, folks, for, for, for the young, again, the younger audience listening to this, believe it or not, Antonio Banderas was actually a real actor a long time ago. He was not a cartoon cat on Shrek. He actually did act, and he did a film which my understanding was a complete box office failure and a bomb, and i the first to say it's got a lot wrong with it, but I love it anyway. It's called The 13th Warrior. This is a guilty, guilty pleasure for me. The acting is just all over the place. You can't understand about a third of the cast because they they have their own accents. Antonio's got his own accent. Vikings, right? Talking yes, like that's Vikings. the Vikings one. It's where yeah. it's set in the roughly, yeah. I think, 8th or 9th century, and Tony Banderas is banished from his post as a poet in the court of Baghdad, and he's sent north with one of the, the traitors, who's, by the way, played by Omar Sharif, of all people. He oh, wow. A, he has a very good turn of that. And then he gets caught up. Your inciting incident is very cool. They're visiting the Vikings. They find out there's some trouble up north that they're going to send people to go and, and take on. And they have the old woman come out and throw the bones to say who's going to go. And he says, 13 men must go, 12 Vikings volunteer. And then she throws the stinger in. The last person must not be a Viking. It must be a Southerner, an, an Arab. Yeah. And he's like, what the hell are they saying? And Antonio and Antonio Banderas is told that, that it's going to be you. You're the 13th man. Mm. So he goes through the magic of cinema. He actually learns the Viking language through listening to it for about two weeks. And that's amazing, by the way. I mean, this yeah. guy had to teach hooked on phonics, right? Mm -hmm. But they end up in a confrontation with a bunch of, with a bear clan, who actually, if you read the book, was based on a book by Malcolm Crichton called Eaters of the Dead. Oh, that this, that's right. That this was like the last that's remaining right. tribe of Neanderthals. Yes. And the Vikings had bumped into them up there and they had to duke it out. Right. Now, let me tell you, I, and let me tell you right now, flaws and thing, aside from just certain things with the, the accents and the dialect and everything, the action scenes are either in the rain at night with lots of shaky cams there are plot lines that never really quite work out. He's got a love interest that kind of gets dropped. There is an entire upstart prince mm -hmm. that challenges them to a duel and all the rest. He has his man challenge him to a duel. That guy disappears for the third act. What Ooh. happened to him? But regardless, it is a favorite of mine and a few other people, I suspect. And I, and I think the reason is the, is the strength of the thematic echoes. Ooh. Let me talk what about What are some that. of them? Yes. For those of you who, who don't know the term, a thematic echo can either be a theme that is repeated in a literary work or a movie, or it can just be even just a catchphrase. Give you an idea, and I'm, I know I'm stretching the term for you literary artists out there, but one of the reasons Game of Thrones in the early years was so effective is they hammered home their thematic echoes regularly. Everybody who saw the show remembers things like, a Lannister always pays his death. His death. Excuse me. A Lannister always pays his debts. The big granddaddy of them all, of course, was... Winter is coming. And that made a promise for future conflict in the show. In the 13th War, you have a few things in there. Um, there's a very subtle one where uh, it's set up that Bulvi, the king of the Vikings he's with, can't read. And it's kind of made a little bond of friendship between him and this guy who can't read. Because he, he regards reading as a little bit of a magic power. Mm. Right? At the end, spoiler alert here, when, he, like, when, he is, when Bulvi is dying... He tells Antonio Banderas, a man, I will die forgotten, but a man might be thought rich 
if his deeds could live on after his death. Oh. And Antonio Banderas says, yes, a man might be considered very rich indeed, knowing I'm going to write about this, which, of course, is what became the basis for Beowulf. Oh, right. Now, the biggest thematic echo, there's a few others, but the biggest one, hands down, is the Viking, I'll call it the prayer. When Early in the film, when Antonio Banderas sees a Viking funeral, they recite to him this litany, when you die, you say, Lo, before me do I see my fathers and my brothers. Lo, do I see my line of people before me, you know, where the heroes live forever in Valhalla. And it comes back at the end when the bad guys show up and it looks like everybody's going to die. That's when all the Vikings get it and they start saying it. And this time Antonio says it, says it with them. And that is really a spine-tingling moment, realizing he's become one with them. He, if he dies, he dies heroically. He dies, he can enter Valhalla with them. Interesting. So it's semi-parallel to Kevin Costner's Dances with Wolves back in the early 90s, where you essentially had uh, an outside observer, Westerner, if you will, European, white European, integrating with the Native Americans, and at first acting like a total foreigner, uh, as a threat, hey, I'm just kind of here, I'm just kind of passing through, and then eventually, you know, with time, becoming fully integrated uh, with the natives and actually, actually identifying as a native and then fighting against the colonists uh, at one point. Yes. So, sort, of, sort of the theme, and of course, I, I just gave away the entirety uh, of that film. Spoiler alert, folks, yep. sorry. And uh, I, I, as I often do, which is also why I get kicked out of movie theaters as well, so... <laughs> but no, I think you're right. There is a parallel there yeah. that, that works with that. The idea of using the language to bring him in. Because if I remember correctly, one of the Indian Braves who absolutely refuses to have anything to do with him, yeah. at the end calls out to him, you will always be my friend, you'll always run with me, you'll always do this. So you know he's become one of them. Comparable thematic echoes. Yes. In a sense, in a sense it's in the same vein. I would also argue Avatar has some of that as mm. well. The James Cameron science fiction Avatar, That's where he right. becomes one of the people. Right. right. So that's much more core to that film. Hey, you still listening? That's good. Because now you're in for a treat. Because next up is The Conspiracy Game. I'm your host, James Manganello. I'll be awarding the value of their statements on a scale of 1 to 5 Rothschilds. Whoever has the most points at the end of the evening gets bragging rights and a warm case of Schlitz. Gentlemen, inhale those jet chemtrails and get out your flat earth maps because it's conspiracy time. I've got a theory here for you. I, this is a pet theory of mine. I am of the opinion that over-the-counter tooth whiteners, they don't really do anything. I don't think there's anything nefarious per se, but it is a method, it's something to give you the illusion of control. Mm -hmm. Here's what I mean by that. People love to think they're in control, right? For example, you know those buttons they put on stoplights? You know, you want to cross, press the button. I'm fairly sure those don't do anything. The lights don't turn green any faster, really. But it gives you the illusion that you're doing something while you're waiting for it to come. Same thing with the up and down elevator buttons. You, if you press it several times, you can do that, but it doesn't speed up the elevator. But it sure makes you feel like you're doing something. That is so ridiculous. I'll give you two Rothschilds. Do you think I'm right on that? Or could there be a more nefarious purpose at work here? Teeth whiteners over the counter are essentially the advils of the dental industry. You know, this is pure placebo effect uh, where you're just sitting there and you're just pressing the damn light and pressing the damn light, pressing the damn light. 
you know, thinking that you actually have full control because, you know, it's your tax dollars paying for this damn light. So it's like, hey, why wouldn't you have control on what color the damn light was, right? Mm -hmm. So the fact that, you know, I mean, I want pure crystallized white teeth uh, with zero tartar and a nice smile. I mean, you know, instead of having to spend tens of thousands of dollars to some dentist who me off and, you know, puts the drill in my mouth, I mean, why not, you know, think that I can actually control it? So it is a beautiful marketing ploy. What is this? Kindergarten class? I'm giving you two Rothschilds for that, and I'm being generous. Let me ask you this then. I, yeah. I am of the opinion, I'm curious whether you agree on, the, on this, given how most people in the United States don't have, you know, really, shall we say, rich vocabulary, mm -hmm. I'm willing to bet you could sell a top brand of toothpaste and just call it placebo. Does everything, gets rid of plaque, makes your teeth white, and this is guaranteed 100% placebo effect. Well, and I that would sell. Eh, you could have done better, but you could have done worse too, so I'll give you two Rothschilds. I mean, I agree with you. Why the hell does Pepto-Bismol actually sell? Like, I'm thinking about it. It literally sounds like a character in A Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Pepto-Bismol? Yeah, I mean, or, or like the, you know, character from Spaceballs. Yeah. I mean, and meanwhile, it's just a bunch of pink liquid, and everyone's afraid of it, and everyone thinks it's disgusting, but they just chalk it down anyway. Not bad. I'll give you three Rothschilds. The only objection I would have, I think Pepto-Bismol would be, likely be the name of a character, maybe in like the George Lucas Star Wars universe. Yeah. I mean, they have things like Count Dooku, right? Couldn't you see something like, oh, you got to take on the Sith Lord Pepto-Bismol? Yeah. I, I could definitely see it. And, you know, the uh, reality is that, you know, if you toss it down, it makes you feel a little bit better, kind of like a nice Lucasfilm did. So, yeah, I mean, I could definitely see that. So, you know, Pepto will be walking up to the bar in uh, Galloon while he's, you know, about to go talk to Chewie. And he says, you know, give me two teeth whiteners, please, so I can look impressive for my girl Leia. A quick check of our sticky notes, and it looks like T.J. McKay brought home the most Rothschilds this evening. Congratulations, T.J. The bragging rights belong to you tonight. And thank you for listening to The Fictionholics. T.J. McKay is the author of the financial thriller Lucky Links, which is now available on Amazon. Michael Angel is the author of the Plague Walker medical thriller series, which is also available on Amazon. This most excellent narration was done by me, James Manganiello. And you can find more of my voiceover work at irefusetoquit.podomatic.com. Oh, and if you have a question and you've always wondered about something or not quite tame conspiracy theory that you'd like us to discuss, please drop us a line at thefictionholics at gmail.com.